0: Good evening, everyone, and um, welcome, as already said, to our evening Christmas Eve service. It's our second one today, and I'm so excited to share with you today on a topic that I, I think is, is pretty important. But first, let, let me tell you something that kept coming up this Christmas season for me. So I'm from South Africa, and we have Santa Claus there as well, and we know the whole naughty, nice thing. But this Christmas, it seemed to come up more than before. And I don't know why, maybe because this Christmas season, we actually watched a bunch of Christmas movies, which we don't normally do in South Africa because we would be on the beach having some fun times in the summer, right, over Christmas. But we watched the Santa Clause. If you've ever seen that, the clause about Santa and this whole concept of naughty and nice comes up the whole time. At the end of it, it doesn't, does, it doesn't do such a good job. Um, we started a tradition with our girls, a, a pretty North American tradition, Alf on a Shelf. So we got the little book, we started reading that to our girls. And again, like the scout elf comes to see who's naughty and who's nice. And if you know the story, if you're naughty, if you're on the naughty list, you get a lump of coal. Why? I don't know. We didn't have that in South Africa. We'll probably burn the place down with coal in the summer, right? But we, we didn't get coal, we just got nothing. But if you're nice, you get a gift. But I've got a five-year-old girl, she's in senior kindergarten. And um, earlier this year, for some weird reason, their scout elf elf, decided not to show up. So as a very good pastor's kid, she made it her duty to inform inform her whole class that the scout elf didn't show up because she was the only nice one. Everyone else was naughty, uh, and it created a bit of an issue in the class, but uh, we had to work through it and say there's other reasons why Scouts Elves sometimes don't show up. But this whole topic of naughty and nice just kept coming up, and it is something that we used to encourage our children, especially our little kids, right, to encourage them to be nice over Christmas season when things can go a little wild. But I realized something over the season. I realize that this way of thinking is often an underlying way that we look at life. Think about it for a moment. If I'm a good person, what should happen to me? Good things, right? If I'm a bad person, what should happen to me? Bad things. And we know it's not completely true because we ask questions like, why does bad stuff happen to good people? So we know it's not completely true, but deep inside of our souls, we believe it. We were preparing for two big Christmas services this year, and a month ago we had COVID, my family. A week ago we got a crazy bad flu, a bug that climbed right out of hell, like it was bad. And then today, just before you guys walked in, by the way, our projector just decided to die, both of his lamps. I unplugged it, gave it a holy slap, and it's it's working again, so (laughs) we pray that it will continue working. But that doesn't feel right. Right, We feel like if I'm busy with the good stuff, then good things should happen to me. Think about it for a moment, about relationships. If I am good to someone, I expect them to love me. And if I'm bad to someone, I expect them to maybe not be so nice to me. This way of thinking about life even underlies our way that we view God and our faith. And I don't know if you're a Christian today, if this is just a traditional thing that you do once a year to come to a Christmas service. But if I had to ask you today, if you think about a relationship with God, if you drive out of this building after the service and you would die in a car crash or something and you get to heaven, and I ask you, why should God allow you into heaven? Or if I ask you tonight, why should God love you? What would your answer be? And I can assure you that at least 60% of the room would say, Because I was a decent person. Somehow we've made that part of the underlying theme in our life. That if I'm good, I'm on the nice list. I get good stuff. And if I'm bad, I'm on the bad list and I get bad stuff. The problem with this is that often it leaves us with a fear. Am I good enough for God to actually love me? Am I good enough for God to actually care about me? And I want to share with you on a topic tonight that I think can bring a peace and a calm to your life that you have never experienced before. Because over the last couple of weeks, as we, as we were journeying through Advent, Advent is a Latin word. It means arrival. We're expecting the arrival of Jesus as the prophets did in the old days. We still expect His return one day. But we looked at a couple of things that arrived with Jesus when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. We looked at hope. We looked at joy. We looked at peace. These things that we all long for, and that I believe through Jesus is accessible to us no matter the circumstances in our life. But tonight we're going to talk about something that's significantly deeper than our need for both hope, joy, and love. Uh, Hope, joy, and peace. And that is love of our Creator. Because deep inside of our souls, we all long to know whether if there is a God out there, if He can actually love me. So tonight, on this Christmas Eve, um, we're going to dig a little deeper into the topic, the arrival of love. And we're going to look at a word that is so hard to express that although you will find a dictionary Um, entry for it. We can never fully express what love is completely right. So I want to share with you tonight from a book in the New Testament, the Gospel of John. It's a book that shares about the life of Jesus that tells us why Jesus came. The main purpose, the golden thread, if you read from the first book in the Bible, Genesis, the Bible, by the way, is a library of 66 books, and if you start at the beginning in Genesis and you read all the way to the end of Revelations, 66 books, there is a golden thread weaved throughout it, and this tells us what the golden thread is. So John 3, verse 16 to 21, this is what we find. Why did Jesus come to earth? Jesus didn't come to earth because he had to check up on the nice list or the naughty list, because he had to bring you some kind of gift or a lump of coal. Jesus didn't come because his seat in heaven's throne was uncomfortable. In fact, for him to leave heaven's throne and to come to our messy, broken, dusty world, full of viruses and crazy stuff, that was probably a pretty hard journey. But Jesus didn't come for no reason, and we find something so beautiful in John where it says that Jesus came for a very specific reason, and a reason that will affect each and every person, that literally changed history, and that will affect each and every person in this room tonight, that can change the direction, the course of your life forever. Jesus came because of love. Love is an incredible thing. If you think about art throughout the ages, a very, very central theme to all art is love, right? If you think about music, whether it's 80s rock and roll, some kind of bluegrass, modern pop music, whether you think about a painting hanging against someone's wall, poetry, spoken word, rap, hip-hop, R&B, movies, whatever it might be, Throughout art, we find all of these stories of love interweaved because love captivates the human heart. There is a deep desire inside of us for love. Yet, there is no universally appropriate way to fully tell us what love is. And that's why we keep expressing it in art and stuff, right? Because we try to give expression to what we mean when we talk about love. And Christmas is one of the times when we think about love. Christmas is one of those times when often you would hear people say, oh, it's about family. It's about having everyone that we love together. It is about generosity, about showing love to other people who might have less. And Christmas helps us to reflect not just on the love, that we so often talk about and write about in songs. But Christmas helps us to reflect on a love that is significantly deeper that John talks about. And he says that is the love of God, a love that loved the world. Can you imagine that God loves the world? I think you can probably imagine that God loves churchy people, right? You can probably imagine that God loves pastors or that God loves the Pope or that God loves people who looks like they've got everything together. You might imagine that God loves people who show up once, once a year on a Sunday, on Christmas. But how can God love the world? How can God love people that never show up? How can God love people who do not care about Him? How could God love people who do evil things, who's on the naughty list? How can He love the world? And by the way, when John was writing this letter, people were asking that exact same question, because the cultural norm was that God could only love a certain nation, a certain people group, and everyone else was out. He couldn't love the entire world. And we struggle still today to understand how God could love us, because we have such The conditional understanding of love. Because we believe in order to be loved, I need to act a certain way. I need to be a certain kind of person. And that's why we struggle to comprehend God's love. That is why when love gets tough between people, we just give up on it. But John tells us that God so loved the world. His love for you and His love for me was so different, he put his money where his mouth was, and he gave us the most dear thing to him, his son, and he didn't give his son to us once, he gave his son to us twice. John says, first he gave Jesus to us when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, but secondly he gave us Jesus when Jesus died in the place of people in this world who didn't love him, who didn't care about him. I want to tell you today, I don't know your, I don't know all of you, I don't know your backstory, I don't know who you are or what you've done in your life or what your relationship with God might be like. But if you have ever entered a building like this and you have wondered if God, the creator of the universe, can actually love you, then I want to tell you he can, and this is the proof for it. Not only did he come for those who were good, but he died for those who were bad. And his love was not a sentimental feeling. It wasn't just this intellectual idea or a piece of art on a wall. His love cost him something significant. Because he actually loves you. And maybe you struggle to believe that today. Because maybe you've grown up in a tradition where people have told you that God is all about judging you and that God is all about hating you and that God is all about condemning you. And therefore, John continues in the second verse, and he says, by the way, not only does God love you, but God came to earth because he loved you and because he doesn't want to condemn and judge you. He's not someone you have to be afraid of. And as I'm saying this, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about bad stuff that happens in our life, okay? If God is the God the Bible tells us about, if God is holy, if God is pure, then it means God cannot stand the sight of bad things. And if you think that's weird, we do the same thing. There is a limit for each of us, and my limit is probably a little higher than yours for what I can stand because of the country I grew up in, because of crime and violence that was part of my life all around us every single day but each of us have a limit where we say if this line is crossed this amount of violence murder rape whatever it might be this is a line this is something so unholy that it shouldn't be present in our world we all have a line where we say something is bad enough for us to not be in its present if God is holy then things that he doesn't like he cannot be in its presence So God cannot stand bad things and sin and unrighteousness, and He has to somehow take care of it, but that's why He sent Jesus. You see, because God didn't want to bully you, and God didn't want to bully me into heaven because we are afraid of punishment, because we're afraid He's going to hate us, and He's going to punish us for our mistakes, He do not want to bully us into heaven, so rather Jesus came not to bring fear, but to bring love, to say there is a different way for us to enter into a relationship with God. Instead of coming with the naughty list, Jesus comes and he says, my arms are open. There's loving arms of God waiting for you. And that is the first thing I want to share with you today the beauty of the good news of Christmas. And I want you to hear tonight that no matter who you are, you are more loved by your Father in heaven than you can ever begin to understand. His love didn't come to judge you, it came to save you. And Jesus' primary mission wasn't to see if you're good enough to make it onto his list. His primary mission was to save you from a naughty list. Jesus is unique. There's no one like him. There's no one who can save us like him. But just because he died for us and he wants to save us doesn't mean that everyone automatically enters into a relationship with God and experiences that love. John makes it very clear. He says, we have to be willing to believe in him. Otherwise, he says, we condemn ourselves. He's not saying God judges you and God hates you. He's like, listen, if you choose against him, you've already made a choice. But if you just choose for him, there's a better way for you ahead. And that is the interesting thing about the good news of Jesus. You see, every kind of good news in the world has something beautiful in it, but also something that offends us a little bit. Don't believe me? Think about your Christmas desserts or chocolate. There's some, there's some beautiful stuff in it, right? Till afterwards. Like it offends me when I look at the scale, right? There's, there's something good and there's something a little offensive in everything good in life. And in the good news of Jesus' love, there is something so beautiful that he opens his arms to us and say, I love you. More than you can imagine. But John says there's something offensive that we have to deal with. And he talks about this difference between light and darkness. And he says that in the world, for some weird reason, when you have darkness and light, people will naturally gravitate towards darkness. It's like, why? Why would we choose things that hurt us? Why would we choose things that injure us? Why would we choose things that damage our relationship with God? It doesn't make sense, does it? But he says, because Light can be a little offensive. He, he talks about that from verse 19, where he says that to come into the light means that somehow we have to deal with the darkness in our own life. When God's light shines on us, suddenly the issues that I have, suddenly the things I struggle with, some, suddenly the insecurities I'm feeling, suddenly the, the skeletons in my closet, all of that stuff that I thought was hidden that no one knows about, suddenly that comes to light. And I have to deal with the fact that I'm not as good, that I'm not as perfect, that I'm not as strong as I thought, and that I cannot save myself from this. And that's an uncomfortable process. It's an uncomfortable process to have the light on you and to have to acknowledge that I'm actually a prisoner. But John says, if you just choose the light of Jesus, you don't have to be a prisoner anymore. And he talks in the last verse about a life in the light where it shows who God is more and more every day in our life. And maybe today, maybe you sit here and you feel like, Louie, it's cool that God loves me. But if God loves me, why do I still feel trapped in the darkness? And that is the offensive part of the good news of Jesus that you might not want to hear, but this is probably a reality for all of us. The reason we feel so trapped in the dark could be because you keep turning away from the light of Jesus. See, turning to the light of Jesus isn't something we do once a year when we sit here on Christmas Eve. It's not something we do a second time a year when we gather for Easter. Turning to the light of Jesus is a continuous process where we believe in His love for us and His sacrifice for us so much that every day I make a choice to align myself in His light and not in the dark. And it reminded me of two people that encountered Jesus as a baby. Both had the same knowledge about who Jesus was. Both understood that he was something special and spectacular. But one chose to remain in the darkness, and one group chose to enter the light. And I want to read this Christmas story to you from Matthew 2, verse 1 to 2. Verse 1 to 12. In Matthew 2, we write, We read, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, by the way, these guys from eastern lands, they were not Jewish. They didn't know this God of Israel. They didn't know the prophecies about the Messiah. They asked, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. But King Herod was deeply disturbed, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He then, and you can go and read a couple of verses, he then asked where where this king would be born. But then in verse 7, it continues. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared, the light of Jesus first appeared. That is the stuff that these wise men are following, the light of Jesus. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went away, and the star that had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. When they entered the light of Jesus, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Two groups of people. Both understanding that there's something magnificent. The wise men through the star that they saw coming up. Herod through the prophecies that he had access to. But when they were faced with Jesus, the one group said, we're going to enter into his light, into his love, into his presence. And they were filled with joy and they worshipped him. And Herod said, "I'm, I'm good with the knowledge about this king, thank you. And the result was that King Herod turned into a genocidal baby killer. There is a path that each of us have to decide. And I want to invite you this Christmas. The love of Jesus is available to you. And I want to invite you to step into his light. And to experience a life of love That goes beyond understanding. This Christmas choose to embrace the love and the light of Jesus fully in your life. He doesn't want it to be an add on in your life. Light dispels darkness. Jesus doesn't want to be the string of Christmas lights around your house. He wants to dispel all darkness from your life. I want to encourage you to say this Christmas, I'm going to choose to not just know about him. I'm going to choose to enter into his love and to walk in his light. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for a love that so far transcends our human understanding. That as we write about love and as we sing about it and paint about it. It always just gives us a tiny glimpse of your love for us. And I want to pray for every person, person in this room tonight. For every person watching this online. Who needs to experience the love of Jesus in their life tonight. I pray Jesus that you would open their hearts and that tonight they would experience A love that covers all of our brokenness, all of our messiness, all of our mistakes. I pray, Jesus, that tonight we will make a choice to enter into your light, to live in the light of Jesus. In the simple decisions we make every day. In the decisions when we wake up to speak to our Creator first, our Savior. In the decisions we make when we approach the task at work to do it according to you, your way. I pray, Jesus, that we would live in your light. And that your light would shine so brightly through us. That it would light up this dark world all around us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.